in india large part of uniform consumption is still in the form of giving a worker 5 meters of fabric to make two sets of uniform say okay here's the 10 dollars for stitching here's 5 meters go out and stitch the uniform the uniformer insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms image apparel and public safety equipment the uniformer is a production of the north american association of uniform manufacturers and distributors the naumd Hello, this is Rick Levine. Welcome to the Uniformer. Today talking with a an international contact today, Mukesh Vijawarji. So Mukesh and I have known each other for a number of years now um and it was one of those LinkedIn relationships that has blossomed. So there's a credit to uh LinkedIn or a call out to LinkedIn. And Mukesh is the area director of New Markets in Dubai for Klopman International. And we will unpack what all of that means in this talk. But uh, Mukesh, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on The Uniformer today. Rick, it's my pleasure. I, I've enjoyed your Uniformer podcast. They're my frequent companion for my morning walk. So it's good to be here. Let's start with what the uh, area director of new markets for Klopman International uh, means. What is it that you do? What's your job? Uh, uh, Rick, uh, th thanks for this excellent opportunity to, to share some thoughts. Can I just add, uh, can I start by saying what Klopman does? Sure. So uh, Klopman is one of the world's largest manufacturer of fabrics for workwear and protective wear, right? We have got three, three plants, one in Italy, France, and, uh, and Indonesia. Its primary segment is the rental laundries and where we have a very large share of Europe's rental laundry business. And this has what has kept us on our toes and the reason for our existence. So that's what Klopman does. And what I do in Klopman, I'm responsible for developing market for Klopman in, in, in this part of the world, Middle East, Indian subcontinent, some parts of Africa. When I started with Klopman, my responsibility was all markets outside of Europe. So it was a huge canvas to paint. Yeah, yeah, right. But then business has grown and we have an excellent team now in Bangkok. So we have cut Bangkok and East and I'm based in Dubai. So from Dubai to Bangkok and Bangkok to East. So the two separate uh, parts of this uh, regional uh, uh, present. So my responsibility is in Middle East, all the, all the countries in the Middle East, some parts of Africa and the Indian subcontinent. So what do, what do I do? My work is basically engaging with three types of people, the end user, public authorities and the garment maker. And uh, it involves a lot of training and education on a constant daily basis. The idea is to bring uh, European best practices to consumers in this part of the world, because Europe is a very matured market and these markets are emerging markets, right? So as far as uniform is concerned, right? So there's a lot of transfer of uh, best practices that occurs. And at the end of it, it is to help the organization find ways to get more from their uniform spent, right? So I don't go as a seller of fabric. There are many people selling fabrics. 
So how do we differentiate? How do we add value to what the the the, the organization is looking for? Or how can we add value to the wearer of the uniform and help the organization get more from the uniform spend? That's what keeps me active, right? And uh, training of the salesmen of my garment makers, engaging with end users, trying to understand what their challenges are with uniform, because in in uh, in US or in Europe, there are three ways you consume uniform: you rent, uh, you buy, or you buy from a catalog. In this part, it's slightly more complex. So you have to engage with with the end users in a much more deeper level. So this is uh, w- what I do as as an area director for Klopman, uh, based out of Dubai. Dubai is my office, but my region uh, my coverage is a regional cover. So I travel a lot uh, before the pandemic, uh, but now it's it's uh, last one and a half years I've been. I couldn't travel anywhere. I really like the notion that you're in the training and education business more than you're uh, directly in the textile business. The textile is a result. The exactly the, the actual activity is. Let's talk about how the cooks in your 16 hotels you know, how their life will be different if they're wearing this fabric versus this fabric. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine then the uh, rental and direct sale partners of yours will invite you to come in on these meetings and these sessions then for that purpose. Is that like they'll say, Mukesh, we need you to come in and talk about this. There is no rental model for uniform consumption in, in, the, in the Middle East. That's interesting, right? really. There's no rental yeah. uniforms in the Middle East. So all those no. amazing hotels in Dubai, they're purchasing all of their uniforms and washing them themselves. Correct. Uh, there is now one rental company in India which is uh, one of our customers from Finland called Lindstrom. So Lindstrom came to India to, to promote a uh, rental model. Hats off to them. They persisted and they were able to change for a large number of people uh, the buying pattern of uniform or consuming on, or consumption of uniform from buy to rent. But apart from this Lindstrom in India, there are no other players in, 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 in the markets I cater to. There are rental companies in, in Africa, in South Africa, but not in Middle East, not, not in India, not in Sri Lanka or not in uh, Nepal. Or... And so again, everyone's just laundering it themselves. Yes. Or are they sending it home with the employees to wash it themselves? Okay, so they will wash, the employee will wash, uh, they will do, uh, some hotels will launder themselves, or they will launder outside. It depends. In India, home wash. In Middle East, primarily laundry wash, or at the camps. Because you got to understand, a worker in, in, in the US or Europe goes from his home to work. He comes back to his family. In Middle East, the worker, for a large number of them, is a single bachelor worker staying in uh, labor camps. He's not staying with his family. So 
So he's staying in camps, and camps have their washing machine or they have a tap with the laundry. Wow, I feel uh, rather naive not knowing uh, much of what you just said, Mukesh. So I was not aware that that was a large percentage of how it it happened. Um, I knew that um, they, certainly in India, they would encourage rural um, citizens to move to uh, areas where then they could uh, provide housing and they could have a labor force but I didn't realize the Middle East operated in the, the same way. Now, in Middle East has expat workers. In India, you're working from home. So a family, they, you are staying with the family, you'll go back. So India is, is like Europe and US in terms of the worker moves around. Oh. Middle East is expat workers. So Middle East is a totally separate uh, ballgame. Um, also, I know you had um, uh, explained to me something else that... Um, surprised me a month or two ago about the days of the week and uh, yeah. <laughs> and what the equivalent of the weekend is in the U.S. is not how it works in the Middle East. No. So the Middle East weekend is Friday is the Sunday. Okay. The Middle East. Huh? India is Sunday is Sunday. But Middle East, Friday is, is our Sunday. And Saturday is a Saturday. Some are working, some are not working. But uh, Sunday is, is, is uh, everything is all the offices are closed. Is a day for rest and relaxation and prayer and yeah. uh, whatever Correct. it is you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Although now I heard that Dubai is Dubai or you is considering to revert to the international week because they are finding that the week is becoming very short. If I don't work Friday, you don't work Sunday. And Saturday, we both enjoy commonly. Then we have only four working days. So there are some uh, you know, winds of change. Do financial markets follow that as well in the Middle East? Everything. Everything. Banks close, uh, banks close everything. Friday is, uh, is Sunday. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a typical American, unaware of all of these things that happen <laughs> in the world that you know, yeah. we, we never pay attention to. So I do not mind being the, uh, the, the ignorant American for purposes of this conversation. What other differences, if I were a brand here in the US and I was interested in expanding into other markets, you know, what are some other differences that uh, I, I might need to be aware of in doing business in the Middle East, for example, or other parts of the world that I know you have knowledge of? You talked about, uh, you've talked to me about China and uh, perhaps missed opportunities there. You know, what are your thoughts in that direction? Let's take Middle East, lack of rental. Okay, there's no rental model here of uniform consumption. That's one. Number two, Made to measure is a big thing, right? Because you got to understand in America, an American worker is working everywhere, right? Or, or maybe Mexican or, but primarily it's an American worker. In a factory in Dubai or in Saudi, you can have workers from India, from Bangladesh, from Sri Lanka, from uh, Egypt, from Africa. So they're multinational worker workforce. So it's very difficult to size them up. Right, So made-to-measure, therefore, has become, even for large public tenders of utility companies and similar, uh, it's made-to-measure. Individually, individually, 
you got to measure the person right so made to measure is a very big difference that you may notice between europe and in uh, middle east the workforce diversification getting to so many different types of people uh, the cultural ethos the religious parts so all these play a role in you got to keep it at the back of your mind while designing the uniform another big difference like for example uh, in india large part of uniform consumption by large organization is still in the form of giving a worker 5 meters of fabric to make two sets of uniform so i will give him 5 meters of fabric i will give him 10 dollars and say okay here's your 10 dollars for stitching here's 5 meters go ahead go out and stitch the uniform okay wait a second am i hearing this correctly you're telling me that to supply that worker with a uniform i'm just giving him the uh, raw goods i'm giving him the fabric and cut cut length so like for example um, my father in law worked for one of india's largest electrical power plant manufacturing company so every year he used to get three sets equivalent of a shirt fabric and three sets equivalent of a pant fabric so 1.2 meter into three pieces for trouser and 2 meters into three for shirts so he had six separate pieces i have been blessed to get one pair you stitch a uh, shirt pant for yourself <laughs> because my last year's uniform is still good would the pattern be supplied like here's the pattern to give to the sewer like how would they know how to make the uniform the uniform in this case is a straightforward shirt pant and with one pocket or two pocket that's a minor detail barring this the other differences between hundreds of tailors stitching hundreds of uniform that difference is accepted as okay now this is a big 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 factor because i know for a fact that one large company switched with age of times to ready made garments for one year the workers made life hell for the procurement people oh the size does not fit me it's too tight it's too loose she said i don't want this headache next year you take the fabric here's the money be happy because you understand that the the worker will be able to recycle the uniform he'll give to his son he'll give to his, uh, his family blah 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 whatever it is while his previous year uniform is still good to good to him for for to carry on his work so this is a huge part of uniform consumption at least in india and it's very difficult to change because of the riders attached to it as i explained to you very interesting but not so much in the middle east in the middle east it's manufactured goods yeah made to measure or even ready made sizes yeah okay both both the options and then you mentioned um you know here in the US it's you know what you're calling a catalog sale so we have yeah. a tremendous amount of product that moves through the vertical yeah. in online stores or in physical retail stores and some of that might be in the family of made to measure for instance in our world at the NAUMD we have a very large contingent in the law enforcement space we outfit ah. arguably 90% of the uh, police and public safety 
employees in the United States. Uh, and um, a lot of that over the decades has been that the officers will visit a retail space, they'll get measured to make sure the jacket right. or the shirt is the correct size, and then we'll hem the pants. We, we stock the pants, you know, full length, 38 uh -huh. inches, and then we'll hem it to, you know, whatever's appropriate for, for that user. And, and that's how our industry actually kind of grew up. And uh, then the idea that you would stock every possible waste and inseam on a shelf, <laughs> uh, you know, is, is a luxury for many companies because that's expensive. So many still, even if you order online, will hem it right away. They'll hem it that day and then ship it out. Yeah. Um, is that um, a similar, when you say, made to measure or custom, is that what we're talking about? No, no, we are talking about individual measurement. We'll measure your shirt, your pan, and I'll make a sample for you. So they'll manufacture it. This is, this is on-demand manufacturing. This isn't just I'll on measure demand. it and then pull the right size from the shelf. No, 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 on-demand. Tailored, you had asked me about past. Yeah. I've always worked in textile. Oh, yeah? But in only two companies, I had a very long stint in a cotton yarn spinning mill belonging to the Tata Group and established by Scotsman uh, in 1889. So it's a very legacy uh, uh, cotton spinning mill uh, built around the waterfalls. So, uh, so they could harness the power of the falls mechanically run the mill. Then in 1915, they converted to electrical power. Right? So at the end of the day, it was a cotton spinning mill. Yeah. So I spent uh, 25 years or more with this mill. Now, uh, as you know, uh, cotton is a very cyclical uh, fiber, right? And the cotton industry defies the gambler's law. The gambler's law says more you risk, more you gain. Okay. A cotton spinning mill, you you risk a lot, but your gain, if you're a good, if you have a good year, you'll make two percent profit. So my love affair with no, I was gonna say that is an exceedingly thin margin. Very thin margin. When I started my career during my initial years, we had one of those bad years for cotton. So our our, our company decided that we must diversify our fiber uh, consumption. And uh, we went up and spun a lot of polyester cotton blended yarns in the range that we specialize in, 12 to 30s, okay, English uh, 12 to 30s of blended yarns. But we found no takers, uh. right? So I was called and said, okay, you please start the fabric division, make the fabric, show it to people, and then, you know, get them attracted to, to, to buy the yarn. And thus started my love affair with uniforms because polyester cotton is a uniform blend. So I thought, okay, I'll make a uniform fabric. So it, the, the model was based on outsourcing, weaving, outsourcing, processing. So we spun our own yarn, we developed our own fabric, but we outsourced everything. So this was how my experience with the world of uniform got initiated. So we were a new kid on the block trying to sell uniform fabric in a very crowded Indian uh, marketplace. <clears throat> and I wished 
wish to share two examples of my, this chapter of uniform, which have stayed true till today with me. Okay, because they, they were learning experiences. One was Coca-Cola. In mid-90s, Coca-Cola came back to India for its second innings. So Coca-Cola was in India, then it got kicked out of India, right? Okay. In 1978, 1979. Then it was in hibernation for 12 to 15 years. Then mid-90s, when the government uh, liberalized, it came back. It came back by acquiring a local cola brand. So when they acquired the local cola brand, they got nearly 60 bottlers, independent bottlers, not company-owned bottling plant, but independent bottlers scattered all over India. Now, Coke being Coke, they came with a small team to run this show, or 15, 20 people. And they said, we want to standardize. So all the 60 bottlers had, were doing things on their own for most part of the thing, except maybe bottling. They had a lot of freedom, including in the way in which they acquired the uniform, because each bottler was a separate company. Coke wanted all 60 bottlers to, to adhere to their guidelines. So I went to Coke and they said, uh, it's a very, very tightly managed, uh, man-powered division. Imagine running the show by 10, 15 or 15, 20 people. So I was given a postage size, postage stamp size cutting of a red stripe fabric that Coke used for its sales staff in the US at that time. And an envelope size cutting of a brown color fabric used for pants. And I was told, this is what we have. Can you do something with this and help us? I said, sure. We developed fabric both for the shirt and the trouser. And I went back to Coke and said, okay, guys, here is a fax letter. You send this fax to all your 60 bottlers that we have agreed with a special price for the shirt and trouser fabric for the sales staff. Send this fax to Mukesh and supplies will be made. And you have to pay them. This was a super win deal. Yeah. The bottlers were happy. The bottlers were happy because they got the fabric at a cheaper price than what they would pay locally. Coke was happy because they could get at one stroke standardization across a very complex country like India. We were happy. We got the Coke account. Right. So we had to think outside the box to grab Coke's business. So this is what I mean, get more from the uniform. If you are a traditional fabric supplier, you supply fabric and say, okay, here's Coke, you take the fabric or you go to this bottler. We told them your challenge is standardization, not uniform as much as standardization. I will help you standardize. That's what they bought. Uniform became part of the, uh, the value proposition. I love that story. Yeah, that is excellent. And I wish to share one more story, which is uh, very unique. We were asked to bid for the Tata Motors business. Oh, wow. So Tata Motors have many factories. So one of the factories, uh, we, we, were, uh, we reached out to them. They employed 15,000 people. Their model for uniform consumption is as follows. The company buys the fabric, okay, gives it 
to a cooperative run by the wives of employees and this cooperative cuts the fabric and the wives come take cut pieces stitch the uniform at home and deliver and get paid per piece you understand yeah <laughs> so here i am sitting in front of them and saying okay i also make a gray fabric so so, so what there are other suppliers who are supplying gray fabric in polycotton right we have one supplier who's been supplying for 50 years so why should we buy from you i told them fabric price same what you not pay me more than what you are paying the others so we are not discussing price fabric quality is also similar but i will give you something extra right we conducted a two day survey at the factory using two designers which were actually uh, fashion professors from a fashion school in bombay we met the workers we understood what problems they were facing with the uniform we understood what expectation they have of the uniform how were they treating their uniform right they were not feeling good wearing the uniform so they used to come to the plant with the uniform in a bag change in the plant and go back home by removing the uniform and wearing their street clothes we wanted to bring pride back in the uniform mm so we so we redesigned the uniform we gave them patterns for cutting we trained the the workers cooperative uh, the key managers so that they could train the the other wives and we made the worker look smart now you got to remember that a good uniform or a bad uniform will still take 3 meters yes <laughs> right but the smart uniform has got some thought process behind it this is what we did now we won a 3 year multi million dollar contract for spending few hundred dollars so this was again a super win contract the worker was happy he got pride in his uniform the union was happy this because the workers were happy the union was happy the hr manager was happy because the union was happy the purchase manager was happy because without increasing the cost of his fabric purchase they got more from the uniform so these you know these couple of examples created that foundation for get more from uniform mindset which went into hibernation once we moved out of that uniform business because the blender yarn took off and we we, we stopped that activity because it was based on an outsource model and bombay became a very difficult place to produce textiles so we we closed that fabric division and i moved to other areas of you know, in the company and uh, but this learning went somewhere at the back of my mind till i got an opportunity to talk about clopman <laughs> and that was a big motivation you're saying to move over to clopman which was far more involved in the uniform business no no uh, this activity closed down in 19 say 1999 oh okay i joined clopman in 2010 oh okay so big gap yeah yeah okay got it right but the love affair remained at the back of your mind yeah uh, get more from your uniform is a beautiful way to think about it because 
at the end of the day, as you're saying, it's the same three meters of textiles being produced and sold uh, and used. And at the end of the day, many of the styles are identical. They're, they're commodity items. They're, you know, um, they're stock, right? That's one of the, the mm -hmm. biggest insults you can give a designer is to say, we need some stock items, right? Because they're going to think exactly. that this is, you know, well, I'm not really giving it character. I'm not really telling the story of the wearer, of the employee, of the company that's going to be wearing it, the identity, the, you know, I was talking to um, uh, Mike Marmer from uh, Emblem, from Heroes Pride, uh, who, who's appearing in a uh, uniformer podcast. And we talked about how the patches and the accessories and, and you know, like that makes the garment as much as the textiles make the garment. It's the bigger picture of what is the statement of this garment? What is it telling the world about the person that's wearing it? So there's two parts. Absolutely. There's the one you've been talking about, which I love the way you talk about it, which is, well, how are you going to use this garment? How are you treating it? How are you, you know, um, how, you know, uh, how are you moving around in this? And what are the variety of the workers that need to be wearing this? Because unless we can make it appropriate for this culture or that culture or this size person or this shape person, it's not going to perform the way it should perform. So that's one. And then what is the identity? Like you went off on to exploring how they were embarrassed to be wearing the uniform. They didn't want to be seen on the bus or on their bicycle or, you know, walking to work um, wearing it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of when many of the quick service uh, food companies here in the U.S. switched from uh, some traditional uniforms to uh, more of the polo shirt, the more casual, yeah. comfortable looking shirt. Um, some complained that, well, our workers are wearing them on the weekends. They're wearing yeah. them, they're wearing them out <laughs> too fast. Right. They're, they're, I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> so that became a problem because now they liked wearing their uniform. It was comfortable. It might have been the nicest shirt they owned at that moment. Right. So. Okay. Uh, so but that became a problem because then they were wearing out a little faster and the company had to, you know, potentially replace them or the worker was burdened with replacing them more often. So there can be. Um, uh, that angle to it, to it as well. But I love the story about how for giving them the same product, uh, in essence, the quality, the price, like remove all of the other variables, you said, yeah, but let's solve the workers issues. Let's talk to the workers. Uh, and you did that. And you took the initiative to do that. I love that. A return on investment. Fantastic example. You spend $500 and you want multi-million dollar contract. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now your margins are way better than 2%. Oh, it was fantastic contract. <laughs> I can tell that to you. Those are good historical. Let's, let's just spend a few minutes talking about um, what's coming up. What's the future? What, are, what do you see as some of the challenges coming up for um, the markets where you operate or markets in general for uh, uniform companies and suppliers? In terms of challenges, I would say opportunities. 
but this is an emerging market. It's a growth market, right? So there are more opportunities and challenges. Sustainability is becoming a big, big, big issue, right? And it's also an opportunity, right, to, to talk about. Because you ought to remember, textile supply chain is global. The shirt I specify or the fabric I specify in, in Dubai may have been made in a factory in Indonesia. So, but if that factory is not following environmentally sound practices, I may be polluting drinking water or, or, or agricultural land in Indonesia. So I, as a uniform buyer in Dubai, have a responsibility towards sourcing sustainability or towards sourcing sustainable uniforms. So sustainability is becoming a challenge and an opportunity and it, an important consideration to be brought forward, right? Because you know, a few years back, China cracked down on polluting textile factories. That's the same issue, sustainability. India had a, had a place in South India where water, was, uh, water from the factory was being put into the river, right? Till the government cracked down and shut everyone down. So this place is the T-shirt capital of the world, Tirupur. Then they shut everyone down, then everyone came together, they started the pollution treatment plant, etc., etc., affluent treatment plant. So now because there are standards for certification about textile manufacturing process, STEP is a great example. It is easier for end users to specify and source sustainably, right? So sustainability is becoming a very, very important consideration. Second challenge that I see uh, is the whole made-to-measure model. With COVID, with social distancing, and you can't touch and you're sanitizing hands after every you know, five minutes. How will you do made-to-measure? So uh, there is going to be some change in this model, right? Whether people will go for 20 sizes or they'll go electronics. or How will they do it? I do not know. But the made-to-measure model will have to be disrupted under the shadow of COVID challenges because it is no more practical. Uh, no one allow me to. Many companies have still not given permission for outsiders to visit. Then Europe, they're saying, on France, they were saying, if you don't have a vaccination certificate, you cannot come to work. So in this kind of uh, atmosphere, how will you go and take measurement of people and touch them and it's, it's unconceivable. So this is going to be a, a, a major challenge and an opportunity. Uh, increase hygiene uh, demands, right, in, in workplace clothing. We'll, we'll, we will uh, create op opportunities because no more it is just a shirt on the back. Infection and hygiene have become very important terms in discussion by food manufacturing or in the healthcare market. And thereby washing is also becoming important. You will be surprised to know that 99% of healthcare fabrics used in the Middle East and in India have a wash care label, wash 30 degrees. In Europe, the law is wash at 75 degrees or 60 degrees for 10 minutes because high temperature washing helps reduce the chances of hospital-acquired infections through textiles and linen, right? So we are telling people that, guys, don't buy fabric just because it looks blue. You have to buy a fabric that looks blue but can be washed at 90 degrees. 
So this is becoming again an important uh, consideration. Same thing with safety norms, right? Now there's more and more awareness about safety practices. So what worked in the past, now it's not going to be so easy to work, especially if there's an accident or an incident and the person is injured or there's a fatality. So this is also becoming an important uh, driver for growth in this uh, region in the coming days. Sizing. Just this month, India launched a multi-million dollar India size program where they will be sizing thousands of people to create an India size chart. Wow. A medium size of US is extra large in India. So this size uh, initiative taken by the government of India will give a big boost to move away from make to measure to standard sizing in, not, in, all, in all garments, including uniform. Yeah. Right? Because then we will know how to size India. Na? And it's a government funded project. And it's a massive project. So, so this is uh, some of the interesting uh, issues that this market, you know, this region is coming up with. So we had uh, here in the U.S. that came about. You're reminding me of um, uh, the Natick sizing charts, uh, and so Natick is a location that the U.S. military Department of Defense uh, produces much of their thinking and innovation. And um, for years, they had these measurements across the armed forces because they could, yeah. you know, say, okay, well, we have 1.5 million men and women, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we know uh, their sizes. And so they would produce these charts that many tailors and fashion or houses and uh, companies in the U.S. would use as a basis for you know, how to say what is a medium, uh, you know, it's across these sizes. Uh, but so that is fascinating. And that's going to be super helpful because, you know, that's Very another helpful. 2 billion people, you know, in, it's, a in game. India. <laughs> it's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, hopefully they do, initiative. you know, hopefully they do tens of thousands, not just, you know, uh, right. Like it'll be no, a, a big sampling, right. It's a big sampling. It's yeah. a big sampling. Uh, it's a very expensive uh, uh, project. Large sample size, men and women, uh, boys and girls. I, I like how you talk about it being opportunities rather than challenges. Uh, that is a wonderful, it, it, it's indicative uh, of your, uh, your optimism and the way uh, I can tell from speaking to you in this podcast, you know, how you've approached so many things throughout your career, uh, Mukesh, where you say, well, no, let's just talk about what is needed, not about, yeah. you know, the price of these textiles, because um, the textiles, again, as we said at the start, is the result what we're really doing is talking about what do we need to solve? Well, <clears throat> we need to solve that the issues of, you know, polluting the planet, because if we can't drink the water, no one's going to be around exactly. to wear uniforms. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we need to, the technology, we need to think about how we're going to size people, because in a world where it's going to be a challenge to be physically close to someone, 
uh, how will we we handle that? And of course, there's a whirlwind of okay. companies now trying to solve that from a technical, right? So from my my smartphone or from a computer, yeah. I can measure myself. And and there will probably be other ways that you know that that uh, companies come up with to deal with that. So that's you know, and and being good corporate citizens, back to the whole sustainability idea, um, is super important to to the future of our industry, you know, and, and operating uh, in ways that we can trust that we're doing um, more good than harm. I appreciate your thoughts um, in that area. Would you recommend people that you know, young people coming out of universities uh, to come into this industry, to come into the uniform industry? Um, do you uh, encourage people you meet to join you in the textile industry? Okay, I'll depends on where you're coming from, the, which graduation you're doing. If you're from the textiles and the garment-related textile, then the, the, should I join the uniform industry? The answer is yes. However, you've got to have one important ingredient because it's a very difficult and tough industry. And that ingredient is passion. If you don't have the passion for the uniform, right, or what you're trying to achieve, you're not trying to sell a shirt on the back. You're trying to give a garment to a person who's going to wear it for 13 hours a day. So it's very important for his well-being, safety, and productivity. So if you change the perspective from a shirt on the back to this important garment and have the passion, it's a great place to be. Because you have to clothe so many people, yeah, from school kids to, uh, it's, you know, India, these are emerging markets for uniform. So the uniform usage is only going to grow. So demand for people to service that growth is going to be there. So if you have passion, if you're from the, if you have studied the textile and, and garment, and it's a good place to be. So you can do good, you can help people, and you're in an industry that is poised for growth because we're going to be uh, wearing more uniforms, even in the parts, especially in the parts of the world that you've been uh, teaching us about. And, um, you know, and employment levels are only going to continue to go up and the quality of the product is going to continue to go up and our uh, ability to behave as good corporate citizens will continue to go up. (laughs) Yeah, it's all good. I'll give you an example. Okay. The, the nurse ratio in India, today's newspaper said India has got 300 nurse per 10,000 people or, or, or a matrix like that. Yeah. The global average is 600. Okay. It's double. Let's imagine the growth in number of nurses joining the field as India becomes more mature and we start taking more people. And with, one, with 1.4 billion that's so many 10,000 uh, pieces you get, right? Yeah. And that's just nurses, right? It's just nurses. Excellent. Boy, Mukesh, it was such a pleasure to talk with you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, explore the, the markets that you work in and talk to us about uniforms. Um, I knew that you were a passionate person about the topic and uh, you didn't disappoint. That's for sure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 